Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. If you know me, you know how obsessed I am with live performance. To me, nothing replaces being in a theater and the lights going down and the orchestra starts to play and that first moment of magic. And I know the way I feel about theater, some people feel about sports or opera or dance or comedy or food. And what if there was a place that you could go and find out which live events are going on near you that night, and then for a discount price, you can get off your couch, put down that clicker, and experience the magic that is live performance. Well, there is a place, goldstar.com. You just go to that website, you type in your city, and every amazing live event will be listed at discount prices. Theater, dance, comedy, film, food, concerts, sports, no more staying home. You are going to go out and build memories and experiences that expand your mind and heart through live performance with goldstar.com. Goldstar is in 26 cities around the country with over 8 million members already signed up to find out what event is going on near you. So go to goldstar.com. Get out of your house and build memories that are magic for you and your family. Expand your mind, expand your hearts. Go see live performance by using goldstar.com. Tell them Alana sent you. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Alana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind the scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, he spent much of his youth living in an orphanage. Then when he was 15 years old, he moved himself to New York City. He got himself an apartment in Greenwich Village, paid the rent in cash by working all sorts of odd jobs, from picking up garbage to working in a movie theater to writing monologues for actors that he was able to sell through the back of a magazine. And then somehow he made his way out to California and through an extraordinary series of events, he began a career writing for television. And now he is back in New York City. He is nominated for a Tony for his musical Tootsie, that is currently on Broadway, and I am so thrilled to welcome the extraordinary Robert Horn to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is the award-winning writer Robert Horn. 
Robert wrote the books for 13 the Musical, Moonshine, The Hee Haw Musical, Lone Star Love, and Dame Edna. For television, he has written, created, and produced on such series as Designing Women, Living Single, High Society, and Partners. His films include Teen Beach Movies 1 and 2, Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure. I was obsessed with High School Musical, so of course I saw Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure, even though I'm 100 years old. Wildlife and Good Advice. His current Broadway hit musical, Tootsie, took the Tony nominations by storm with 11 nominations. They're still coming in, folks. We haven't got the full tally yet, but I am so thrilled to welcome my friend Robert Horn to the podcast. Oh my God, I'm so thrilled to be here. It's so, you know, it's, I spend a lot of my life in LA, and so my connection to the Broadway world are podcasts and serious radio. Those are my two things. And yeah. so I listen to every one of your shows, and to sit here and be in the room and, and now actually see a face and body connected yeah. to the voice. Every, after, of course, having seen you on stage, yes, yeah. it's, uh, it's it's a thrill. Well, it's such a thrill to have you. You know, we were we were talking about before we started recording that I saw you. First of all, when I saw you at one of your early previews of Tootsie, I was all ready to come up to you and fangirl all over you. So the idea that you, um, I totally I fangirled you on you. My, I totally I fangirled. I didn't know. And First of all, let best. me just say, everyone was looking. Is that is that Julia Roberts? <laughs> it's like no, just me. I actually saw you from across the from down the aisle. I was way down on the bottom. You yeah. were coming in, and I said, "Oh my God, it's a lot of Levine." Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Calm down. Yeah. Just go say hello casually. And I didn't. I went up and I said, oh, my God, I just have to say I'm so fangirling out right now. Well, it was so <laughs> hilarious because I was with a lot of people who are used to people fangirling on them. And I was like, I'm sorry. I believe it's my podcast that is getting the attention. <laughs> By the way, to have someone like you who knows everyone and has been doing this for so long also enjoy hearing their stories in a whole new way just makes my heart really happy. Oh. Um, so I, you know, it's no secret. Anyone who listens to my podcast, I've said this before, the movie Tootsie for me is like in Barry Levinson's diner when the fiance had to know all the mm -hmm. baseball terminology and players and all of that in order to like be this person's wife. Tootsie for me was very much like that. Like if you didn't love Tootsie, I don't care if you didn't know every line, but if you didn't love it, we could not we get could married. We could not be friends, right? Exactly. We could, right. We couldn't even <laughs> be, be friends, friends, let alone yeah. sleep together. You pet my dog. Yes. No. But uh -huh. if you do know all the lines like my husband did, um, we will have children together. Mm -hmm. So that is how imprinted that film is in my mind, I'm sure, in your mind, in all of us who grew up at a certain time. Um, whether you fell in love with it just to look at Jessica Lang, or whether you fell in love with it because there was something about the actor's journey that really touched you. It really was like seminal in all sorts of ways for people who were interested in a life in the arts. Yeah. Um, and what was so successful about your show that I got to see on Broadway, Tootsie the Musical, is that it took this thing that we all thought we knew and turned it on its head a little bit. And so you walk in thinking, like, I know what's going to happen. Um, and then you which see. Which is actually a song. Which is in actually the show. a song uh -huh. in the show. But, well, should we tell everyone I helped write it? Yes. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> now the time to reveal it. It's so embarrassing. But yeah, like all the good ideas kind of came from our spitballing. Exactly. And then Dave Yaz, we got him on the line. line said, like, what do you think of this? What do you think? Levine thinks this is going to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, now just hear her version. Listen, just listen. Yeah. Yes. But before we get into the show, which of course we will because my listeners will just be too mad if we don't talk about the show Tootsie. The thing that I think is remarkable and why it's so successful is that you 
the book writer of this show, were someone for so long um, uh, you loved Broadway. Yeah. And you grew up as a very young person with, with stars in your eyes, like all the people in this show and the movie and all of it. So I wanted, before we hone in on like this magnificent show that you wrote and all the success that you're having and I'm so happy for you <laughs> but this you. really is not a story of yeah. an overnight success oh my god no right? I say I'm the oldest newcomer to hit Broadway in years how thrilling yeah. right do you remember when Mary McDonald won the Oscar for Dances with Wolves is that on your radar at all and she was over 40 well wait she starred in my fir- the very first series I ever had on the air she was the star of it what, which one High Society oh my god that's right it was right. Mary McDonald Jean Smart and Faith Prince oh my god uh, yeah, so it's funny that is an interesting reference. And by reference. the way, my husband and I met at the Kennedy Center. His name is Dominic Famusa, and we were doing a play written by Trish Bradenberg, who had worked on designing women at Be- some before point. I before I got there, you. yes, yeah. So when I was looking at your bio, I was like, all like there are all these intersections of like beautiful people yeah. who bring beautiful people yeah. together. You, when you saw the black and white cookie that I left for you as oh, my guest, can swag. I just tell the audience, yes. the listeners, I got a keychain and a black and white cookie and you have no idea what this means i love my black and white and i kill a keychain and bow ties and bow ties or bow ties bow ties uh, yes so you grew up in where were you born well i was actually born in norwalk connecticut and then uh did not live there very long and then we moved to brooklyn to bensonhurst where my mom had had grown up um and lived in uh, Bensonhurst and then Sheepshead Bay in, in Brooklyn for until uh, mo- I was about eight or nine years old. And she was a single mom. My mom was a single mom. And you my, are a twin. I am a twin. Um, and uh, uh, my mom was – my father left when we were born. And so my mom – Were they even raised, married? Did they know They were married, yes. Well? Yes. I have an older brother who I'm not – especially – we really aren't very close. I, we did not – that was a whole other thing. Sure, but um, uh, my mom and my sister and I were really the the, the nucleus of the family. And then um, my grandparents were really helping. We were like really poor. It was just a difficult. Were time. her parents in dire straits? Also, the whole family. We were. It was. You know, we were a one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn in Bensonhurst, 68th Street, and 19th Avenue. And there's going to um, be a plaque on that. Building on that one bu- day, no, Danny. there's really not. I don't even know if that building's still there. Um, uh, and it was. Uh, and so you know, we we. We it was a, we were a really close family, but we struggled, and my we were really really poor. And eventually, what happened was, um, and I've talked about this before, that when I was about nine or so, it, it was sort of decided by the state through an organization called the JCCA, which is the Jewish Child Care Association. My that, friend is now the the CEO of that organization. Oh, really? His name is Ronald Richter. Tell him my the childhood story. Friend. Tell him this. Story. Well, I'm going to make you go tell this story okay. at their next gala. I would love to do the that. idea that that that's still part of your story and that organization still exists and is still working to help kids have better lives. Yeah, it's a great organization. Yeah. It really was it is. for you? Um, you know what? It, it was. Uh, listen, I didn't quite under- know what was going on, but uh, I also... How did this intervention happen? Who comes in? Was it a teacher at school? Like no. how? Or did your well, mom go to them? What happened was um, we were go- in family therapy. We were in counseling and it was free through the Jewish. I don't know how she found it, but it was. Are you free. Jewish? I am. Yes. Okay. And so, um, oh my God, you have to look at me to know. But uh, <laughs> you never and, know. Though. And you do never. Jewish know. is very yeah, in it, right now. So People in, are I'm trying so to... grateful. I'm so grateful. And my husband <laughs> loves little Jewish guys, so it oh, kind of works out perfect. I love Sorry. that. And so, what happened is we were in family counseling, family therapy, to help deal with you know my mom and the difficulties she was having. You know, this was a very different time. You know, it was yeah. the, it was the 1960s? It was a very different time. And so. Um, 
uh, eventually the therapists that were in charge of our our family basically said, we think it's better. It's a, a better situation for your mother if if the children are taken away for a while so that she can get her life together and figure it out. And it was, it was just a real struggle. But let me also say that we were very, very close. I mean, my mom, I remember so vividly that at a very young age, six, seven years old, my mother sitting me down and saying, you're going to be different. You're not good at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to be like everybody else. And it's a wonderful thing. And don't let anybody tell you that it's not. And she gave me this confidence at a very young age that that lived with me and always sort of um, uh, inspired me. Uh, my mom, at 19 years old, was Ed Sullivan's secretary on the Ed Sullivan Show. Oh, my goodness. And she handled the talent. Okay. And she dealt with all the Broadway talent. She likes to say that, um, um, oh, what's the singer's name? Lane, uh, uh, who's a very famous singer, like in the 1950s, okay. um, gave her a jewelry box, which she still has. Um, and so my mom introduced me to theater at a very, very young age. And and because she celebrated and she loved it, and so she, she was given tickets to see things. To, well, this was way before I was born, but yes, she uh, just was a, a. So she wasn't nineteen when you were born. No, no, she no, wasn't no, no, no. Mom, she right? Was, no, she was okay. But as part of her, and she, I'm just how she fell in grew, love, fell with, in love with theater, and so um, eventually, what happened is uh, the the uh, I was sent to live in a what's basically an orphanage or a, a state run facility um, through the JCCA up in Pleasantville, New York. And how old were you? Uh, I was about nine. And is this traumatizing? Do you, you know, remember this? I do remember it. You know, I'll tell you what was traumatizing is that my sister and I, because we're twins and yeah. very, very, we were very close, um, were not sent to the same place. So I came home from school. I was going to PS216 in Brooklyn and I came home from school. And also where a plaque will be soon. Where a plaque sure will be so I'm yeah. sure that's still there. Um, and so <laughs> she, I don't want this story to be a downer at all, but. It won't but, be. Are okay. you kidding? Look but, at you. But I, Look but, at beautiful yeah, you here. I know. It's kind of great. Um, yeah. um, uh, In a bow tie, my friend. But friends. I'll tell you what was great about it too. So I had come home from school um, and my sister, they, my sister had, had left. You don't know when a bed is going to open up. So you just go. And I came home and she was gone. And that was just really, really difficult. So two things happened. My sister was gone, and I knew that I, my, I was going to be next. Um, and is your mom, like, sobbing when you come home? Yeah. Or have you all, like, um, it was talking a, it about was, it for a while? Yeah, we knew it was happening. It was difficult for everybody. But but my mom was is, – is, she's an incredible spirit. And she's still and, alive. Right? Oh, my God, yes. And okay. my biggest fan. Yeah. But, she, you know, we talked about it. And, and she let us know that this is the best thing for us, that she felt that she wanted to do what was best for us because she was having a very difficult time as a single mom trying yeah. to raise it. And I – and, uh, to be honest, I was a bit of, of a wild child. I was, um, you know, and and it it just was better for everybody. So then eventually, I I um, uh, a bed opened up in this in this facility, and I went and I lived up there, and I lived there until I was about oh just shy of about fourteen or Wait, so. So this is five six years. Yeah. And do you continue to see your mom while you're there? Um, yes, we, you're. I, I'm allowed. You were. We were allowed to talk to her on the phone. Uh, I think it was like once a month. We okay. could talk to each other, and then we'd have visiting. You could like every every six months or so. Um, you could have a visit. So either they would bring me um, down. In fact, it's so funny. They would bus the kids down from Pleasantville, um, and the bus would stop. On Vanderbilt Avenue, right in front of Grand Central Station, wow. literally in front of right this now. building. I had a little flashback about when I walked in, and so I could come home for the weekend. <laughs> or PTSD. Or, said, or PTSD. <laughs> Yale Club there I back ran in front then. of a cat. No, uh, you know what? Probably, probably was. Probably um, was. And so I would get to see her, but it, it uh, there were times, you know, some t- 
Sometimes I would, sometimes I wouldn't. But we were always very much in touch, and it was a really difficult thing for her. But but it was the best, and I knew it was the best, and and she knew it was the best thing. And, and when you what your sister was Nancy? Yes, Nancy. Would you get to see each other? Um, we really wouldn't, not that much, but we would get to. So here's the weird thing. So, yeah. and I'm going to do a truncated version okay, of this. Okay, but you don't have to because okay. it's so beautiful. And I think it's just so generous of you to share oh, your story. Well, you know, it's, 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 so my sister was in, in a, uh, what's called a group residence up in Mount Vernon, in New York. And, um, New York City is run, you know, on a, on a public school system. So it's PS this, PS that. Sure. But the school in the facility that I lived was called a union-free school district. So it didn't adhere to the public school point system of credits and all that. So the facility that my sister was in, they bust two girls every day to our school for whatever reason, which is about an hour, an hour and a half away. And so we would pass notes to each other through these two girls. One of them, I remember her name was Diane Finkelstein. And um, um, and we would pass notes to each other. Wow. So that's how we were able to communicate. Wow. Um, and then, um, uh, uh, so yeah, so that was, it was tough. My sister and I were very, very close. And, and you know, I just, I, I don't know, uh, we could talk about it later, but I, uh, I just lost my sister to pancreatic cancer um, a little less than a year ago, mm-hmm. which is, so which was, devastating because I I wanted her to I've been working so long to like finally have something that I feel is successful and I wanted her to see that but I think I think some of its success is due to her so she's looking at so um you know I lived there and then I didn't want to be there anymore and I was working with a a when you're in this facility everybody has a therapist and I told my therapist I'm I'm leaving I'm kind of I'm running away and I, I just don't want to be here anymore and she was like Okay, so there was a facility in Regal Park um, uh, through the JCCA where they would rent like apartment buildings in high-rise apartments, right. um, and you'd have like you know three or six kids in a room, and it was sort of like a uh, a group residence, sure. and it was a transitional thing. Yeah. So I went and lived there for they about still six months. Do that. Yeah, I drop off housewares and things all the yeah. time to help set up these apartments. Yeah. So and it was that, and then I lived there for about six months, and then I just said, I'm done. And I went and I had a, a series of crazy jobs. And I, true story, I was walking. At like 14 and a yeah, half 14, years old. 15 years old. Okay. And I had to figure out how, where am I going to live. And I had made some friends and was sort of crashing up people. You kind of remember this is New York in the 70s. Oh it was God. a very different time. Yeah. And um, I was walking down this in the village looking for a place to live. And there were these guys sitting out on the street playing chess, which I won't say the word mob but i mean i think it was very but at if that you time say the word it would mob. sound with a blob rhyme with blob and so um um i said hey i'm looking for a place to live do you know of anything available and one of the guys oh, this old guy said to me come with me and he showed me this apartment on 164 thompson street am i allowed to say that on on, on the third floor mob 164, 164 thompson, thompson street. street oh i loved it, it was over a Turo's restaurant and he said, can you I pay cash? Wondered. Did you really? Yeah. Right above it. That yeah. red brick building right yes. above it. And crazy. he said, can you pay cash? And I said, yes. And it was $90 a month for this wonderful, roach-infested, one-bedroom apartment. Um, and he said, nobody knows you're here. You, you know, I want no trouble from you. You slipped the money you under my door. And I, and I got my first apartment. I was just like 15 years okay, old. Listen and it was to me. This fantastic. Is crazy. I had the best. You know, it's New York in the Could 70s. Can you imagine the rent on that place now? now it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, if it's even an apartment, it might even be a but condo now. Why, when you said I could pay with cash, you don't have any cash. No, I do. I do. I. You've been working now? I have been working. Um, I, there was a. a so you s- dropped out of school. Um, I 
you know, so this goes back to the other story, which is because I went to Newtown High School in Queens when okay. I was living in that group residence for, a, for like, yeah, for yeah. like six, six months. Um, but because of the USFD, US Union Free School District, the points is was different. I had already had enough credits to graduate. to graduate. So I never actually had to finish high school. Right. So. Yeah. So did you ever get a high school? I diploma? did get a high school diploma from Newtown High School, which I only went to for six months. So it was a very. Uh, it was really, you know, the interesting thing about my career and my life and the trajectory is I never sort nothing ever sort of happened in the traditional way that it should, which I sort of love. But you have, but so here I was, this 15, 16 year old kid on my own, living with my at the time my best friend Eddie Fernandez, who so now Eddie runs came. Eddie. I met Eddie for the six months that I went to Newtown High School. We did Peter Pan together. He was Captain Hook. I was Smee, yes. Yes. and he now runs um, uh, EPAC, a, 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 a wonderful theater in Alpharetta, Pennsylvania. He's the artistic director. I know we're still like really what? close. I know they Are just did there... ragtime. I'm going to say I um, love ragtime. And, and so he, uh, I eventually he came in and became my roommate and. We were paying like like ninety bucks a month. It was New York in the seventies. Theater. We were theater boys. All we we ate, slept, breathed. Everything was theater. Musical, musical, theater, theater. We would say. I mean, we went to see Chorus Line the first week it opened. You could you could second act a show in those days. Just stand and go walk walk in and stand in the back. But I had money because uh, you know this is a run on sentence, right? I'm just talking. About, um, I had a lot of crazy jobs. There was a city work program at the time where you would make minimum wage, which was, I think, maybe three bucks an hour. And they would give you a job. So I'm sure anybody who needed, you know, wanted free workers would make a... So I worked, um, I've talked about this, I had a job in Bryant Park. I had a stick with a nail on the end, and I would pick up trash in Bryant Park, which is not Bryant Park the way it was no, now. No, that was panic um, at Needle it was, Park. It was Needle then. Park, I know. Yeah. And then I worked for the Environmental Protection Agency. But isn't it funny now? People are like doing yoga and like musicals oh, or doing shows there, and you're like, you do not understand what Broadway was in this in park. Bryant Park. But you're let like, me tell you something, if you would have told me at... 15 years old, picking yeah. up trash in Bryant Park, that someday one of my shows would be in Broadway. Of course. I, I would not have believed you. It's, you, you don't, you have these huge dreams, which you sort of don't dare to dream, but dream, and you don't know if they'll ever happen. Were you writing as a kid? Yes. So one of the ways that I supported myself is there were, I don't know if it still exists, but there was a magazine called like Drama Log or Drama, Drama Desk magazine at the time that obviously this is way before the yeah. internet where actors would find out about auditions and everything and I put an ad in drama like I would write original monologues for actors for auditions and scenes for 20 bucks and which is was a lot of money and around the time that you're picking up garbage like is yeah. this all around the Thompson all Street time. apartment yeah. and like all that beginning? time yeah so when you were growing up I mean, you have so many chapters in your life in terms of like before the home and the orphanage and after. I mean, even just hearing the word orphanage in 2019, it's really like it's just not part of most people's dialogue. Yeah. Um, you're you've got this kind of effervescent, effusive, positive persona. I look, I don't know you well, but yeah. you exude joy and kindness and warmth. And positivity. Do you think you were born with that? Or did you manifest that somehow for yourself to get through all? I mean, what you're describing with a smile is really intense, right? And this isn't like a therapy session. Right. I'm saying like, this <laughs> yeah, is not yeah. an easy story. I've heard a lot of stories. And this is up there with like complicated, lots of love, but not yeah. easy stories. Well, it's, 
the interesting thing about stories is they're just your story. And right. I think in, in you telling don't know any that, other story. You don't know any other story. And, and I'll be honest, I hear stories and I have many friends, not many, I have a few friends who grew up in the South or in the, who, whose families would dis, disown them because right. of their sexual identity. And I, mine were, my story was great compared to that because there was said so much your love. When you said you're special, yeah. is that what she meant? Yeah, I think she knew I was going to be gay and yeah. she knew that I was – listen, this is going to be so cliche, but I'll tell you the truth. I have pictures of me at like four years old, three, four, five years old, sitting on the couch watching the Judy Garland show on CBS. I mean I was obsessed with musicals and the divas of those days. It's and in she your knew, DNA. Yeah, and my mom is – she grew up in New York. She grew up in the village and she said, okay, I get it. He's gay. He loves the arts. It's not going to be an easy life. That was the perception in those days. But I'm going to support it and celebrate it. But my mom has ha- has always had the most phenomenal sense of humor. Oh. She is she's acerbic and sarcastic and Jewish and all those wonderful. She's she's Borschbel. She's yeah. Tony Fields. And and um, she I think I got that from her. And the I and just comedy was I. Was always able to find the humor in any situation, and perhaps it was a defense mechanism, or it was all I knew. But I don't know. Just that's always I was always to, able to find humor in the in the, the darkest of moments. And what I think I think maybe what fueled that is that I saw the relief it would bring other people in those moments that were suffering. And I, if I could make you laugh, if I could make a joke, if I could find just the slant of humor in this, yeah. it could ease the tension. It could ease the burden. And it's that sort of became the familiar to me. What I and how I and then I realized, hey, hey, I, I can make a living out of I'm this. Good at this. I'm, I love it. I love it. You know, it's interesting because I, you know, I I proudly wear the moniker writer, and I think sometimes that. I still think sometimes there's a stigma with, oh, you're a writer. But, uh, uh, you know, what we do and 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 much like actresses, actors, actresses, you know, performers, painters, anybody else is is it it is it it, it drives you. It fuels you. It is your DNA. It is who you are. And um, and I just I'm so I can't do many things. Well, believe me, I can tie a bow tie and I can write comedy. And uh, they're the two great two. They are two of the greatest gifts. Yeah. And I think my mom and my grandfather, who was a vaudeville dancer, and who raised me. This will sort of bring Tootsie, but raised me. You know, my grandfather was of that Borscht Belt circuit. You know, where they had house up in the Catskill, and would take me to all these great Catskill comics, and raised me on the on the Sid Caesars and Imogene yeah. Cocos and Jackie yeah. Gleason's and and Alan King. So are you Jack going to ben- gross singers? Like yes, that we would go yeah. see shows. I would yeah. go see uh, Shecky Green and the and and. You know, I did a show a few years ago. I th- we talked about Moonshine, which yeah. was based on Hee Haw. My grandfather loved this in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, is watching Hee Haw. And so, so is you know, Jackie Mason like a favorite I love of his? I do, well, go Jackie yours. Mason in Brooklyn. <laughs> and then I love, yeah, I mean, all of did that. Did you ever perform? By the way, that was a perfect I, you know, um, channeling. I, when I, uh, years ago, I worked with a a, a wonderful uh, actress, Avanda Let her name was, and we did um, improv comedy together. And I, but I was really, really, um, uh, terrible on stage. It, I'm I'm a behind the scenes kind of guy. Okay. I just you found I, your niche. Yes, I don't know how you all do it. I don't know how you put up that fourth wall and lose consciousness of your body and your. I always I feel every, when I'm on in front of a spotlight. I feel every finger. I feel I don't know how funny? to do that. But but that's just not. I don't what know you how you do for. it. It's not, but I 
I love actors. Uh, I actors are my are my fuel, and I always say I can give birth to something, but an actor must bring it to life. Mm-hmm. And the most joyous collaboration I have, and what I get to do is is working with actors because, especially in Tootsie. So many the so many of the performances, so many of the characters, David Yazbek and Scott Ellis and I worked with the actors right. to get that. It we had a draft, and then once the show was cast, that's when it truly so they came really to life. sort of workshopping it together and and writing on them. Absolutely, with them and on them, and right. and you know, are there lines or things that characters in the show do that were born out of Julie Halston or Santino or Lily, like that they said, and you were like, I'm I'm putting that in. Yeah, there are there are that, but also like a, a Julie Halston who. Dame Judy Halston, yes. as I call her. Yes. Um, as you know, well we all should. As, oh, she's the she's incredible, yeah. and what she can. Anyway, what, uh, so she before she was cast, the part was a very different part. Mm-hmm. Um, it it didn't have the humor it has now, and it sort of didn't drive the story the way it exactly as it did now. She came in, did a table read, and I said to um, uh, uh, Scott Ellis, Scott, I know how to write for her. Right. I know where I, I know that. what that is, and I said, Julie. I'm trust gonna, uh, me. Trust me and work with me, and and uh, we'll make this a good part. Yeah, and sh- and we did. We worked together. I because also I come from the land of television and 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 situational comedies. I a am not. I'm never precious about my material, and also I I tend to overwrite, and so I'll we'll go through. We'll. Do, we'll rehearse and then the next day I'll come in and I'll say okay Julie I have eight new jokes for you which do you like what do you think she would say which do you think helps drive this scene the best yeah. because based what do you want out of this What? and I would that kind of collaboration yeah. must have oh, been my. thrilling for her too I hope well let's go back I okay mean, I'm, I'm going to let you talk no no, <laughs> uh, uh, no no you are not I'm just going to keep thinking of questions that will help me get the story that I'm obsessed with hearing from you so designing women was notorious mm-hmm. for being a really hot set, right? Like there were stories about the actresses um, not always getting along or diva moments. Mm-hmm. Like it had a very theatrical reputation. Did it? Yes, it did. Well, I had no, of, I've heard none of this. Of many divas. Oh my goodness. So how exciting for me that that was the show that you, you know, sort of cut your teeth on. It was. So you went from writing monologues for for drama for blog, actors B, and actresses whatever. yes um somehow you know i read a long list of television credits yeah. more than most people have and by the way what i didn't share because it you know wasn't as like sexy a bio read but like you have deals to write for like 7000 studios so many like projects going on yeah. that if i read the same resume a year from now there'd be 20 more things <laughs> added to it so that's exciting too like yeah. you have your fingers in a lot of pies right now but somehow you went from Thompson Street. Yeah. And Eddie? Ed Fernandez. Ed Fernandez. Oh, my God. He's going to freak out when he hears well, this, but yes. I hope he has a lot of followers so he can tweet <laughs> to all of them. Um, you made it to L.A. Yeah. Which is not the the normal way to Broadway. Right. Um, so sometimes when I've talked to people, it's like, you know what? I kept knocking on the door here, but it opened up in L.A. Yeah. So how did you get to the other coast? Well, 
as I said, so somewhere in the mid seventies, my mom had moved to uh, California, to San Diego. Oh, you did? And, I did not yeah, hear that. Yeah, she had moved okay. to San Diego for a job. And like, what uh, was the job? Working for I, I was working for. She was a, a, a at the time a secretary, but okay. we'll say assistant for a, a lawyer uh, here in New York. Who then said, "I'm opening an office in San Diego. I want you to come and help me open that office." And right. she did. Um, and then my sister shortly followed. My sister had gone from this um, group residence in Mount Vernon to um, one up on uh, uh, West End Avenue, like 75th and West End. And then eventually um, and went to Julia Richmond High School and then um, mo- followed my mom and moved okay. to L.A. So they were both in California. It was the mid, uh, mid-80s. mid uh New York had – I was really struggling. I, I couldn't get a job. No one cared You're about – You're piecemealing so much yeah, stuff together. I was doing all these crazy jobs. I worked at S- South Flower Market, which was the first flower shop to ever be able to go in and pick your own flowers. It was on right across from Lincoln Center. And I remember Kiri Takanawa, the great opera diva, came in and I flipped it. It was like – it was right across the street from where, where they were shooting um, uh, uh, one All My Children. Yeah. On 66th yep. and uh, Columbus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so um, – we all got our start there on, crazy. in under five. And, uh, all those soaps. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, soaps were a big employer in those days. Yes. Which is why the movie Tootsie could get away with that at the yeah. time. And, in 1982. And now, it does, now they don't exist. But anyway. And so I, um, you know, I was really, really poor. I was trying to survive. I was working in serendipities. I was working at Cinema 1 and 2. How are you I, eating? Like, are you trying to work no, at restaurants? I, yeah. So you I, have food? Yeah, but I always made a li- It was a very different time in right. New York. You could get an apartment. You could make a right. living. I never, I was poor, but never unhappy. It was, it was so glorious. You were always poor. Yeah, always poor. For a lo- right. Yeah. I mean, you... I, it's all I knew. It's yeah. funny to this day. I'm most comfortable in one room. I'm most comfortable in an apartment. Then this a house must that be isn't big. I love. I feel like I'm home. I told you this is a bathroom and a hot plate, and I'm good. Um, and so what happened is New York in the mid '80s went through. A, it was a very difficult time. Are dangerous things happening for you? No. Are you? Are you? You're out. I've been out. Yes, right. I'm out. But, you know, it was the age crisis hit, obviously. And I, I lost a lot of really uh, close friends. And it was really difficult. New York went into a depression. You sort of yeah. couldn't get a job. It was just I needed to get out. I needed to get out. And so I, I said, I'm going to move to to San Diego. And I went and lived with my uh, my mom and sister in San Diego for like two or three months. And at that Is time. Is that the first time you're all living together? Yes. Again? It was the first time since I was about nine. Uh, but we were. But. I didn't last very. Long. I mean, at that time, I love San Diego now. It's a thriving little community. Right. But at that time, there wasn't a lot to do between yawns. You yeah. know what I mean? It was like, Ugh. Yeah. and also and so, like a military base. Like it, there it wouldn't is, have been the best far. environment for you. And so I um, said, I'm going to go up to L.A. And I had a friend who was. Okay, so my best friend, one of my best friends in New York, Howard Sussman, who is now um, the, the costume supervisor on Dancing with the Stars, um, ha- had a boyfriend who was in La Cage uh, in the L.A. La Cage and he said, come and be my roommate. And so I moved up to L.A. and moved in with him. And I bummed around L.A. for a while trying to get a job and this and that. And basically what happened was um, through my friend Howard Sussman was at the beach one day. I, maybe I shouldn't tell this story, but he was at the beach and he was talking to – he was with some friends. And one of them said, you know where we can get a joint? And Howard said, oh, my friend Robert will have a joint. And he brought their friends over to the apartment I was in. And Danny Margosis was one of those friends who was working at CBS as an assistant to the head of current programming. And we started talking. And he said, I'm trying to be a writer. I said, I'm trying to be a writer. And he said, let's write something together. And we wrote a pilot. Um, it was about behind 
the scenes of a it was behind the scenes of a game show, I think, or something okay. like that. And um Was it like a Guffman esque sort of It was just a sitcom. Just it was a sitcom. sitcom. Traditional sitcom. Traditional sitcom. And he because he was working at CBS, they had what's called right of first refusal. So if you work there and you write something, you have to show it to them. It's right. part of your contract. And he showed it to this wonderful executive who is no longer with us named Joe Voci, who said, Oh, this is good. I like this. Gave it to an agent at ICM and literally we had our first agent and within three or four months we're on designing women and it you, just that happened you writing he and I became writing partners yes he's a fantastic writer and um, we, we were together for about 16 years and we um just sort of it happened very fast and it was a very weird thing on designing women it was towards the end of the run and the incredible stand-up comic and director David Steinberg was the director at the time and he took us under his wing and taught us how to edit and taught us how to cast and taught us how to run a show our first job we basically were running the show because a lot of the the, the staff had left um, at the time it was in you know later in the run and and I, I, that's how I learned my craft. And so you learn. So you're in a writer's room for the a, first time. Yes, but we were there. There were like basically three or four writers. That's all that were That's left. That's all that were left. It was great. I think at the time, um, who was on the show at the time? Uh, that what was, cast was left? That was um, uh, 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 Annie Dixie, uh, uh, Jan Hooks. And and so Judith Jean Ivey, Smart maybe. Wasn't on it no, anymore. I had it was sort of the tail end of Jean Smart. Okay. So I had met, I would worked a little with and Jean then Smart. She did another and show then, of yours. And then she yeah. ended up doing another show. So it was, and it was just glorious. Uh, listen, I, I, you know, I know the stories. I, uh, but the they the the cast was there was such a solidarity with them. It really was like a happy. trooper. It was they were like Broadway performers, and they all very had theater careers, you know, at, or and so. Oh my God! It was the most incredible time. So suddenly, and it's happening, and you're making money. Not a lot at that time, but, a, but yeah, a real salary. Yes, for the you're not it was doing the first, seven jobs at once. I wasn't, and and no, it was, and it was. Listen, those were the days before before computers. Those are the days where you had uh, mimeograph rooms, like printing rooms where you would write your script. You'd be done at three o'clock in the morning right. and you would take it to the printing room and they would print out copies and have them delivered to the actors so they could come in with their scripts. The next right. day. It was crazy. It so was you mosh pit of television. on the job. I did learn on the job, job yes. But you were good at it. You had an instinct for it. Yeah, you know, here was the here's where I think Did I was love also watching like, TVs. Oh my kid? god, I my you had done your ten thousand. Oh hours. my god, you have no <laughs> idea. Well, listen, my sister and I, because we were twins, were obsessed with Family Affair. Do you remember the show Family yeah. Affair? Um, uh, uh, and and uh, we yes, we grew up. I mean, we were kids of because television. You were twins. Like, were you the Buffy and Jody? We of- were Buffy and Jody. Oh my god! And my, I <laughs> guess my brother French. was sister, but yeah. Mr. French and Uncle my Bill. Uh, it was crazy. And you know, we grew up on on those on those great shows. And Dark Shadows. I was obsessed with Dark okay. Shadows. And um, uh, so I. But that wasn't half hour. That was no, like family. But I loved comedy. I loved Green Acres mm-hmm. and I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched and all those. And Lucy. I was right. obsessed with I Love sure. Lucy. And then Carol Burnett. And were you like a fan? You of- have no idea. Carol okay. Burnett was my. It, that was appointment television. And right. and when it's, it's funny thing about Carol Burnett. People are not going to believe this story, but it is the truth. So in in where when I lived in Pleasantville, you were really you were allowed to choose an hour a week of television. You, there was TV, but everybody. You the, got to choose yeah, what everyone I, was right. going to watch. I lived in a, what was called a cottages um, with about, I would say about, you know, 16 or 18 kids. And so you got to have a show that you got to, that was your, mm-hmm. um, and I, this Cal Burnett show. It was always the Cal Burnett show. And so I, um, uh, the, the thing that I was lucky about is because 
at such a young age, I was raised by my mom and my grandmother and my twin sister, who are all very powerful women. I think yeah. that was the prism through which I, I saw life. And so I loved writing women. Right. I loved writing strong female so characters. That was not so, unfamiliar no, to and you. And when I got to sit and write those Julia Sugarbaker monologues uh-huh. and write those, I was in my element. And I think I was lucky because I was good at it and it, it was in my wheelhouse that it propelled uh, me rather quickly in my career because I got to do it wasn't like I was writing something that I was you know I was funny but it was, it was right in my wheelhouse yeah. and so I got really lucky I mean but also they there were real meat it was yes. real meat like issues real it issues. was issues which yeah. I and I've always been a very I've been an I've always been an issue driven guy I've always been you know um, an activist and 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 I was you know fought, I always kind of felt like the underdog so far right. for the underdog right. and so I um oh, it was it was uh, it, it was Learning your craft by writing what you love. And it was great. And then I was lucky after that, um, after Designing Women ended, to go right onto a show called Living Single, which was created by the incredible Yvette Lee Bowser, who is was is a, an incredible, strong African-American woman at a time when there wasn't a lot of presence of that. And she created this show which on Fox, which became iconic because right. it had never been seen. And she also taught me and taught us and said, here's how you do this. Here. So I, uh, so much of my career has been... Um, because I've been able to stand on the shoulders of, of people who said, took me under their wing and said, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to show you. That is unbelievable. Yeah. So once you started, yeah. did it keep going? Yeah, so we did uh, Living Single, and then I went to London. and on a, To see the queen. To see the queen. <laughs> and she said, you must watch this show yes. called Absolutely Fabulous. Yes. So I, I went to London and saw Ab Fab before it became he okay. came here, and I... Loved it. I mean, that was like, oh. yeah. And I said, I kind of, I kind of got inspired by that. And I came back and I said, um, I'm going to write something that's kind of like that. And I wrote High Society. And um, it was Gene Smart and who was the it other? Was Gene person? Smart, Mary McDonald, and Faith Prince. Right. And um, David Rashi and just a bunch of, of great fun, people. Great yeah. people. And I wrote. We wrote the show and. Jean attached herself, and then Mary attached herself, and then um, we sold it at CBS, and it did not get picked up. And then um, uh, uh, Les Moonves at the time, who was running uh, Laura Moore and then Warner Brothers Studio, went to CBS, and it was the first show he put on the air. And it only lasted a season, but it got us a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And from that, we ended up getting an overall deal at Warner Brothers for six years. Um, where I'll take the story full circle um, and did many, many pilots and many, many shows. And then ultimately I ended up at Sony Studios and ABC Studios. But when I was working at Warner Brothers, I got a call, the incredible and 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 uh, uh, Bob Boyette and, and Tom Miller at the time were Miller Boyette. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they created TGIF. They started with Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and, and Mork and Mindy and then All went on to iconic, do Full iconic. House and Family yeah. Matters and stuff. And I got a phone call from, uh, 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 I'm trying to remember who it was at the time. Was it Peter Roth? Whoever was running Warner Brothers saying, we'd love for you to sit with Bob Boyette. I was doing very adult shows, and he was doing more family-driven yep. shows. What would happen if they brought us together? And so I went and sat with Tom Miller and Bob Boyette, and Bob Boyette and I just connected in this incredible like incru- from moment like, one. From moment one. He is, uh, I'm sure some of your listeners know, because he is a you know premier consummate theater ten. 10 Tony Awards right. and brought all those plays over from the national. And um, Bob Boyette, again, took me under his wing, taught me so much about television. And then all we used to do was talk about theater. Mm-hmm. And so when he left 
uh, Warner Brothers and came to New York to become a theater producer. He's the first one who called and said, you know, I'm working on the show. We could use a little help. Come in and help us. Come and doctor script this. Doctor. And script doctor right. this and work with this. And that was my first show, which was Dame Edna. He said, I would love you to work with Barry Humphreys. And, and then gave me Lone Star Love and then gave me 13, the musical. And so, so much of my career in theater, you know, it's, you, I believe that success is just a combination of 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 uh, circumstance and talent. Mm -hmm. You can be as talented as as the but if you don't have the if you don't luck. have that luck, yeah, it's not. Or if you have the luck but you're not prepared. And Bob Boyette was my luck. Wow. He said for theater, he said he gave you the key. He gave me I'm the key, unlocking this thing. That and really I'm want. forever grateful. And he's still and he's we're still incredibly close. And he still does has impeccable taste and does incredible shows. Um and. He opened the door for me. And had I not, had I not had had that serendipitous meeting with some guy who wanted a joint on the beach and then written that script and, and then met Bob Boyette, who knows if I'd have this. Incredible. But anyway, that's that story. Well, that is an incredible <laughs> story. And, you know, there is a lesson, kid, about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm on them right now. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, No, darling. you know, I, listen, I... I I get asked to speak at things sometimes, and especially you know, having written the show Thirteen, where obviously it it it, it attracts a very young audience, sure. and 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 with the incredible Jason Robert Brown, yeah. And you know, the interesting thing about Thirteen is that it it's a show about youth and coming of age, and all that, but it's not a kid show. It's mm -hmm. got very adult themes in it about popularity and choices you make, right. and culture and and um, bullying and all those things, and um, I. Th I, so I talked to a lot of the next generation, and and I, I is that show done all over the world? It is done all over the yeah. world, and and I, I, I'm not really at liberty to say, but there's a, I think there's potentially a, we're in the middle of negotiating something really wonderful for I'm a new sorry. life for that show. Little known fact. Little known fact is it yeah. might be it might be at a at a as a as a movie, at a streaming network. That's, That's so all great. I'll say. But it we'll see. Be. We'll see. Yeah. Um. And so, uh, but. By the way, Ariana Grande still looks 13. She could still play. Oh, I, I just saw her. She sang at the Wicked 15th anniversary uh -huh. show. Were you were you there? I wasn't she... there, but I know she did it. It was yeah. so moving. Yeah. All I'm... these all these alphabets <sighs> and the whole thing Ariana. was so moving. She... But then she came out and sang, and everyone was just like what? Yeah. Like she's so Well, she's tiny. a theater girl, you know, she too. She's a theater girl, but she's tiny. Yeah, she's I mean, very Kristen's tiny. the same way. Yeah. These tiny people. And then that voice comes out of them. That you're like, yeah. this seems humanly impossible. Yeah. The gift that they have, the power yeah. and the tininess, it's it's almost she, surreal yeah, when you watch she's, it happen. Uh, the, all those kids from 13, I'm so proud of all yeah. of them. And we're all we're all still it's interesting because I feel like when I see them, they revert back to that age, and sure. I, and and they're all but you adults now. Families, I feel that like in in yeah. meeting you, that I I believe that you're still in touch with those people because you love family. I, I do. And you're always creating them, and it makes sense. It makes sense that you would want that and do that, and that's what's so amazing about theater. There's no, you know, I, I I'm so grateful for my career in television, but there's nothing like the theater community it is so there's a solidarity and a support you know LA is very sort of um 
isolated. But Nobody's near. Out. It's so There's not a town out. center. It, it's that's not exactly right. Like There's this. not a town center. That's yeah. exactly what it is. And no one's walking. I mean, maybe in Larchmont. You're in car in Larchmont Village. Yes, but they're 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 out of my pay grade. Yeah, they're and I don't believe that anymore. But okay, I'll believe. And just a house on June Street. That's all I've. Oh my God! One of our best friends lives on June Street and Fourth. Yes. Pretty. Um and uh, something about the th- first. Of, I, I know this sounds so like mm, you'll get that get out the yeah, violin. Corny. All I've ever wanted to do was theater. Right. It's always been my passion. It's always been my love. Um and to be especially this season to be uh, welcomed into the theater community as a brethren as a you know I told you this uh, the night you came to Tootsie but you 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 get to meet your idols mm-hmm. and people that inspired you or the people you would say if I ever got the chance to work with that person uh, my life would be over right. I would, and this is it presents those opportunities well, night and, after night it's yeah, just it's people cool. you love and the people in the show in the show yeah. and and in other shows yeah. i mean this is a glorious season there is such a a, a variety well, of shows Hades this Town? season you have, you have Hades Town and Tootsie both both making people happy in completely different ways exactly. um but the level of talent in all these shows well let me ask you your yes. show started in Chicago correct I feel like that's when because Lily Cooper is a beloved friend and I I don't know how you I know she was on your show too tweeting, yeah I don't know somehow I met you on Twitter yeah at that point but um when you were in Chicago where you had time after several workshops it sounds like and to kind of see it in front of an audience and and feel what their experience is now. Did you know, based on Chicago, did you have an inkling that New York would receive this show the way it has been received? Um, no, actually, really, no. Okay. You, you hope, yeah. but you don't. And Chicago is a great testing town because it's uh is the vibe of the audience oh, similar to a New York audience? Kind in a way? of. You know, it's a it's a really a, an interesting mix of. Urban and suburban and uh, rural. It's sort of a little of everything, mm-hmm. but they're very savvy theater goers because there's so much incredible theater right. there. You got Steppenwolf. I mean, there's yeah. and and many great it's shows. A theater that, town. It's a theater town. Both touring and resident companies. Yeah. yeah, and they tell you they're very vocal, and they'll tell you what works and what doesn't work. Are their critics and their newspapers different than the tone or vibe in New York uh, theater? Um, critic the, the, the most. I mean, Chris Jones for for um. Uh, is, is that it, the Tribune? Uh, that's the, the Times. The Times. Yes. The Chicago Sun Times. Yes. Uh, no, the Trib. I'm, I apologize. Is that the Trib? It's maybe it's the Trib. It's a, <laughs> um, but he's uh, a, 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 a really well, really smart, really well versed. Knows theater. Knows what he likes. Very generous. What I not f- nasty. Not nasty at all. What I found about the th- Chicago theater critics are they're supportive. They give their. They'll tell you what they think you can work on in the most supportive of ways. Mm-hmm. They'll say we loved this. We loved this. They could fix this. They could fix that. And the, and were they right? They were. Yes, they were right. The, huh. I was just about to say the great thing was. We were lucky in that it was pretty uniform, uniformly agreed on that this doesn't work, this doesn't, this doesn't, and this does, this does. Right. Scott Ellis, who is, I will jump on a, any sword for that man facing forward, I say, okay. um, that, that he, his, his sort of mantra was, we, I want to leave Chicago healthy. I just want to leave healthy, knowing what works, knowing what doesn't. And, and that's what happened. Huh. And we got we were really I mean, both lucky, but also we worked really hard and and had some wind in our sails coming out of Chicago. But you never know how New York is going to embrace. You just don't know. Well, You don't know anything. You don't. You don't. And you've been there. You yeah. know, you just you think you have something great. You think you have something that audiences will respond to because 
you're laughing. You you sense this. They also early on we sensed that this was a true company. You know, somebody said to us the other day, it's like watching the Carol Burnett show. So the ensemble is just so strong. The whole company, yes. So let me ask you, obviously you're not the producer. You didn't like option this material years and years ago with like an eye toward doing it. I think a lot about this. It's Tootsie and it's not Tootsie, right? right? But it's called Tootsie, Mm -hmm. but it's not Tootsie. But it's kind of Tootsie. <laughs> There's a right? monologue in that. Right? Whatever you do right now, that's a monologue. But you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yes. So, so is it – I just find it's all fascinating to me, right? Like so here was this obvious like from a marketing perspective or right. someone a who big thinks title. in those yeah. ways like Tootsie. That's kind of a universally known, adored yeah. film. Um, when you look at the program for Tootsie, you see like – Larry Gelbard and and Dustin Hoffman yeah. and I'm forgetting one other writer's name uh, Don McGuire and Elaine May right. who appear, and and Mariscisco and a bunch of people, people that were involved yeah and and on and on and so you just see like a really fascinating just all the lawyers at work in that yeah. way right <laughs> yeah um, a lot of lawyers yeah was were any of the original people who worked on this film at all involved in this. Journey for you? From no, not no. not. By the time you come on, yeah, there was unencumbered. Here yes. is a blank page. Yeah. this is the concept. Tootsie, go. So I was doing a. We did a reading of another musical I'd written called Moonshine, the right. Hee Haw musical, and our incredible producers Scott Sanders and Carol Feynman came and saw that. And who at, did you write that with? I wrote that with um, uh, Shane McAnally and Brandy Clark. Okay, and um, we did it at the Dallas Theater Center, and it actually. Maybe, maybe having another life, and so on the streaming uh, network. Uh, but I, uh, <laughs> no, this is theater. This is Broadway, and so, um, so uh, Larry Gelbart. Originally, Larry Gelbart was writing the screenplay and uh, the, writing the musical, and I think he was sort of uh, gearing more towards what the actual screenplay so adapting was. And this was. It- Yes. In a more straightforward way. Correct. And it okay. was this was probably eight years ago and okay. ten years ago. But not um, that long ago. Right, not that long ago. And Scott yes. Sanders had the rights because I he had worked at Sony and he part snapped of his, them up he then. snapped them up wisely and he knew. Um uh, and so uh I got a phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually so Scott Sanders had seen Moonshine, said, Come to my office, I want you to look through the Sony catalog and see if there's anything you want to oh, do. And I found a title that I had loved, uh, which was a Judy Holiday movie called It Should Happen to You, which I thought, oh, that might make an interesting comedy. And we were working on that and it's it ended up not really going anywhere, but he really got to know me through that. And I was in New York for a week's work with I was doing it with Shaman and Whitman and Jerry Mitchell. Okay. And on that, talk about a dream team, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um it sort of ended up falling apart. But I would just want to rent a house got, with those oh guys. Oh my god! They yeah. was I could again. I was pinching myself. Yeah. Am I in a room with these yeah. people? And I got a phone call from my agent saying, um, "I got a call from Scott Sanders. They they need a writer for Tootsie. You're on a short list. Will you come and take a meeting?" And I said, "No." I said, "I I was petrified." I said, "It's Larry Gelbart. Who Larry Gelbart and Neil Simon were my idols." Of course. And so I said, "I don't." I'm really trying to establish myself in theater. I, that's a big target to have on your back. And I didn't know that I could, I didn't want to put a movie on stage. Right. I felt like it was so iconic. I, yeah. I love that movie. And I didn't want to put my name on somebody else's words. Right. I just felt there was, for me, it wasn't right. And so I, um, not that there's anything wrong with it. I just felt that if I was going to write something, I wanted it to be my own right. voice. And this was yeah. your moment to kind of figure out what uh, your next step was going to be. And I said, thank you. And I also was doing, uh, did you I say had, thank you next? I didn't, uh, thank you next. <laughs> But I, yeah, but I, hashtag, yeah. but I, uh, 
I actually, so I, and then I got a call back from uh, Scott Sanders. I don't remember this, but it's true. From my agent that said, Scott Sanders said, you were in New York on his dime. You are taking the meeting. Oh, oh okay. And then they said it was David Yasbeck. And I said, I'm taking the meeting yeah, because yeah, yeah. I had to meet David Yasbeck. I was, you know, he Huge was fan. Oh, beyond, so beyond, beyond. I mean, Full Monty. Full Monty and visit. everything, way, everything. Yes. Full Monty, band's visit, same person. I know. Is that correct? That's, That's David Yazbek. And and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Right. And, I mean, but I, I, I can see Full Monty and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. In the same, like, yeah. I believe, like, oh, yeah, I look at that resume. He wrote both those things. They're so different, mm. but I there's a world. But that it then became this, mm. like, gentle, beautiful, like, little present that but he gave us with the band's visit. He's crazy. got all those sides to him. Yeah. It's very interesting. And he's the funniest person I've ever been in a Which, room with. He won an Emmy Award for writing on Letterman. I mean, he is, we really are like, we were separate. We met, so we took that first meeting. I know, I the always say. I you guys I, talk about each other, it's like, wait, are they? No, he's, I, okay. I said, I never thought I'd fall in love with a straight guy. Yeah. And then along comes David Yazbek. Yeah. No, it was just... Um, and then Scott Ellis joined us. So and it, fun from the beginning, from day one, mm-hmm. and it what it started off by us talking about. Well, so I went and took that meeting, and I said, "Just the two of you." Uh, just it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was the two of us in a restaurant. And Scott, and no, uh, uh, it, uh, it was with Scott Ellis. Okay. I mean, Scott, Scott Sanders, Scott Sanders, okay. and. Uh, I said, I'm going to sabotage this Scott meeting. Scott Bakula. It was Scott Bakula. Who I saw do a production awesome. of Shenandoah at Fort Kennedy, Ford Center in Washington, which was fantastic. Many years ago. So I, he was almost the that. music man. Like, he almost had, like, anyway, on and on. Um, so, so yeah. uh, uh, basically, I went in and I said, I'm going to pitch them what I would do, which is not the movie. And David and David but said. But had you, how much time had you, did it come no, to you pretty like quickly? I had like two or three days to think about it. And I said, yeah, but I sort of, I sort of but also, to be honest, was sort of winging it as I yeah. go. You know, what you do when you spend years and years pitching in rooms and television is you learn winging to pull it. it out your butt. You wow. just like, what are you, you know. Or trust yeah. that you can. Yeah. And trust your instincts. And the, I think the fact that David and I connected so quickly and then we started riffing. I said, well, I would do this. And he said, yeah, and you could do this and this and this. And um, uh, it just felt right in and that the moment. the idea without spoiling anything yes. for an audience that in the show it's a Broadway show that Correct. they is as the workplace within the show, yeah. not a soap opera. How um do you remember whose idea that was? That was it uh, was uh, we we thought of or er, that came early on. I think it was just uh, both of us in a room Jinx. to yeah. <laughs> I realized you me a it, it actually wasn't uh, remember that? Oh yeah, my god. I just remember uh, it. Oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I think for me it was tab, but that's okay. Uh, uh, and then we ju- it's sort of just I don't remember whose idea it was. I think we just David and I talking about it. Listen, there's the movie again was iconic and existed perfectly as it should in the era that in the year and era that existed. But we knew you could not translate that now. We knew that the world was a different place and that the we didn't want to do a pastiche musical. We didn't want something to take place in the eighties. We didn't want we knew we wanted it to feel we wanted to honor the DNA of the comedy and the story, but make it our own. Mm-hmm. And David was as adamant about that as I was and to his credit, their credit, Scott Sanders and Carol Feynman said, write your show. Just write your show. And Santino. Oh, Santino Fantana. Be- First of all, best name ever. Ever. Even if he wasn't yeah. talented. And his joke is that wins. nobody can ever pronounce it. He'll send pictures of coffee cups from Starbucks with his name on it. Never write. Sandra. Yeah. Never- <laughs> um, was he uh, attached from the beginning? So, no, David and I spent about a year and a half writing. Crafting we spent this. one year just talking. 
just we said we're not going to write until we know what we're writing. Okay. So we really spent a year talking, and then we started writing, and we did a draft, and at the and and then we're looking for a director, and Scott. Sanders and Carol Feynman loved Scott Ellis and knew him and thought he would be really right for it. Right. And so they sent him a draft. And I got to tell you, wasn't well, a great draft. Okay. I mean, we had made a lot of mistakes. It was a start. It was a start. It was what a vomit is, draft. Can you think of one thing from the vomit draft, as you call it, that when you look back, you're like, wow. Yes. That was- and I won't say what it was, but it, we went Why? through a lot of versions of the, of the show within what the show. What was the worst idea you had? Um, the worst. The worst idea, idea I had was uh, initially saying I don't want to do it. That was right. a really bad idea. Right. Oh, I'm trying to remember what the worst. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we. Well, I don't want to say, but we went through some like not so great <laughs> ideas. to say it's not yeah. the first draft that just got eleven Correct. Tony nominations. It is not. Okay. Um, but Scott Ellis came in, and Scott's caveat was, uh, I will do this, but I want Santino Fontana to play Michael Dorsey. He just his Scott is so incredible with casting. He sees things that he knows. Those actors that a lot of people don't know and sees, understands where a character lives and that what an actor will bring to that. Okay. He's got this. He's this savant when it comes to that. And, and then do you meet? Do you start meeting with Santino early on to write for him or on him, or do you just keep writing? Like, is he in your mind now? Is he involved? Yeah. Um, we So we have this draft. Scott gives us his thoughts on it. David and I go and do another draft. And then we do a table read. And okay. Santino comes in and does that table read. And at that table read, we just said, you're, you got, you're right, no Scott. Needs to sell and us. the yeah. interesting thing about Tootsie is that only two people in the entire cast auditioned. Everybody, Scott and Jim Carnahan, our casting director, would bring people in for readings, table reads and workshops. And they just stayed. And then they stayed. They knew they sort of had this instinct. Hey, do you know Sarah Styles? Hey, do you know John Bellman? Do you know uh, uh, Michael McGraw? And, and, and so no one in the main ensemble. Lily well, Cooper Lily auditioned yes, and, and Michael McGraw, that. actually. Yeah. And both of them booked it in the room. Lily started singing the John song in the room. And David and I and Scott turned to each other and said, that's cast. Well, that's done. And she's got a really difficult role in this yeah. because not only does she have to find comedy, but she's the grounded person in the piece mm-hmm. because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of farce and there's a lot of over the top kookiness yeah. uh, orbiting around her and you have to the audience must fall in love with her mm-hmm. for you to understand why Michael Dorsey then sacrifices everything he thinks he wanted for her mm-hmm. and the minute she comes on and starts and you and she gets her laughs and then she sings this song you fall in love with her and you understand why he starts to fall so in love with her. So she literally, because like, I mean, Lily knows that now because you've told her that. Yeah. But, you know, we talked about like just how nervous she was and how uncertain she, you know, you look at the the prototype yeah. and you're like, hmm, okay, well, here's the great news. I'm nothing like Jessica yeah, Lange. I'm nothing like Jessica Lange. But yeah. you do carry, you know, the way you were talking about the burden of, like, what came before. Mm-hmm. For any of the actors in the show, they're carrying a preconceived idea on right. their backs as everyone. I'm curious, though, like, I bet there are a lot of people who come see the show now who don't know the movie. A lot. Which is so crazy, yeah. right? <laughs> That's like, do you know Romeo and Juliet? Do you know Juliet? Well, every, that was the thing about the Romeo and Juliet. And you ask about what do you remember that wasn't. Yeah. The, we went through a lot of. Um, the show within the show. The show within the show. And it, it wasn't working. And we did a reading. Just David and I did a reading without anybody else there. Right. Um, we just brought friends in to read it. And what we saw was that people really wanted to just get back to our story. And so we realized. 
And I, I had lunch with um, Scott Sanders, our producer, and it was actually him that I believe said, you know, maybe we need to do something that just instantly people know. That right away people understand. Mm-hmm. No, oh, and 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 he said like Shakespeare, this. and I said, yeah. well, and then we started talking about well, and then D- I said, David, you know, what do you think? And I and then we just said, well, Romeo and Juliet, and then David and I both said, oh, we know how to make that fun. Yeah. Um. And so, uh, but uh, uh, it was very, it was all that was all very trial and, and error. Like, and I totally forgot your initial question. Uh, yes, the nurse. Well. I'll tell My you initial the, question is, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? <laughs> yes, I was born in Connecticut, lived in New York. Um, the 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 nurse, uh, you know, there was a certain um, uh, uh, in the in the original movie, obviously, Dorothy Michaels, uh, 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 hospital uh, administrator, hospital administrator, yes. but you know, sort of became this advocate for women's rights, right. and we knew that 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 we wanted to keep an element of that, but not told the way they told it in the movie. We didn't mm-hmm. want suddenly women to find their empowerment through a man pretending to be a woman. Right. We wanted. It was very important for David and I um, that that the the man and the the that Michael Dorsey learn his lessons and find his remorse and learn to become a better person show. through the strong yeah. women in the show. Yeah. And so, but in the story, the show within the show, I knew that I want, I loved the idea because I I battle this too. Is that you know, especially so much of our culture is about you know you your self worth is based on the aesthetic, and I and I felt like. I wanted to create a part. Of, I wanted a part of this story to be about um, being celebrated for who you are and what you are, and the the and so I knew we wanted to put sort of a young leading man type, which became the the reality show star, and that he and that he was a guy who is always told you're good looking, you're handsome, take your shirt off, and he believed that that that's his worth, right? And but that's uh, all he has to that's offer. All he has to offer, and then you have. Dorothy Michaels, who's turning 40 and is being told you're not a traditional beauty and you're too old to play the leader. And that if if we could create a story where the unexpected romance is he falls in love with a woman because of her strength and her power. And she she lets him believe he's worth more than he ever saw himself as. I thought that was a beautiful way to sort of approach the empowerment of the of the way they did in the movie in a in a in a more contemporary yeah, yeah. way, yeah. yeah for so sure. that's where that and we so then it became well, what if it's Romeo and Juliet? And it becomes about the nurse, mm-hmm. the character that always sort of hides in the is in the shadows when it comes to the forefront, and and therefore the show is celebrated for the message it gives off, right? And then the comedy is Michael Dorsey saying, you know, uh, you know, I. I I have something to say to other women like me, and and yes, but you're not a woman, yeah. you know. So and and so yeah, yeah, and and it's wonderful, and and there are so, it's so rare that everyone gets to shine, and you have really found a way for everyone. Like everyone in your show feels good. Oh, you know that's what I nice. Mean? Thank like you. Like everyone, yeah. Scott Ellis, really he good. lets everybody have their moment. Yeah, and David Yazbek too. David knows how. There are some character-driven songs in this show that nobody else could write. They're so Yazbekian, as I call them. And and he, you know, from Sandy Song to that song at the top of Act Two, yeah. and and to John, uh, to uh, John, uh, Max's song, John's song. So, um, yeah, and. When does the cast recording come out? It's out. It's coming out. We're done. I no, think, I know you did yeah, it, but do you know the release date? I kind of don't, but I think okay. it's like in the next week or two. It's I think it's very, very soon, June something. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, often, yeah, often uh, there there are composers and book slash. I mean, I'm always confused. Like a librettist is someone who writes the words when something is sung all the way through. Yeah, your show is very much a play. 
with songs. Yes. Wouldn't you say? It's a play and a musical. And yes. It's both. It's like this yeah. incredible hybrid. Um, but sometimes people just write music, mm-hmm. compose the music, and the person who writes the book also writes the lyrics. Like there's all yeah. kinds of. Yeah, there's no real formula, yes. But with what the, was your formula for the two of you? Was there a lot of back? I mean, do you constant. write music? Also? I don't write music. Okay. I don't write music. But David will would say to me often, "Write this as a scene, and then I'll know what to write as a song." He'll say, I, "I'm not sure w- what the song is exactly, so write it as a scene. Write what you think you want, okay? And I'll understand what you want, and I'll know where to go from there." So, and did he write the music first oh, or the lyrics first? Uh, I don't honestly. I don't. I'm not in the room with him when he's writing okay. the song. He'll just. Start sending me drafts. It's all. It's, it's done, all, and you and you're floored. You're, you're like, like how, where did this come from? How did that? I wrote you a page and a half scene. How did you get this? Uh, but the we, best patter song ever. 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 Yeah. He writes. Oh, he's so yeah. good at that. But uh, no, it was very collaborative. I mean, he, there are jokes in the show that are his. There are a couple of lyrics here and there that are, I would inspire. It was very, very, very collaborative. As at with Scott Ellis as well. Yeah. It's a big theater. I think oh you have like two. Th- Sixteen hundred. I think it's sixteen to seventeen hundred. You okay, can. You're not in the Helen Hayes. Like, no, I know. Yeah. Theater. What is it like to? I, I mean, you probably don't go every night anymore. Although it must be, if you could be a junkie for it. I mean, it must be an amazing feeling to have in unison, as if you are conducting it, standing. On the conductors, you know. Uh, <laughs> I love how expressive you're. If you got, if you all could see Alana right now, you would be cracking up. She's literally conducting as she's talking. It's crazy. <laughs> it is, it, the precision with which you write. I remember my first Broadway show was Neil Simon. What show? He, it was called Jake's Women. Oh and yes. He would stand in the back and it, early on, and mm. if something wasn't working, he'd be like, "It's cut," yeah. and we'd be like, "Neil." Alan Alda, all of us, we like, we're just, maybe it's us. Yeah. Maybe we like just need a, like one more. He, like, that was how vulnerable Neil Simon yeah. was. It wasn't, it was never our fault. Mm-hmm. It was his joke, yeah. which I thought I could cry because yeah. that's what was so amazing about him. And he always assumed that he had done the writing poorly, not that my rhythm was, was wrong yeah. or, or hadn't found itself mm-hmm. yet. What is it like? To walk into that theater on any given night and hear 1,600 people in unison as if you are conducting it burst out into mm. uncontrollable yeah. laughter, so much so that your cast has to hold. They do. <laughs> that show's well, getting longer and longer, it not is. because of I them, look at the running times. Because that, of us. Yeah. Um, it, that's a great question, and there's two answers. One is I'm very much like Mr. Simon and that when stuff doesn't work, I always I will apologize to the cast, and mm-hmm. I'll say, I promise you you'll have a new joke tomorrow. Right. And they say, no, give us time to work on it. And yeah. it's very hard for me to do that because I do. I feel like I didn't write that right. It shouldn't. It should, if it works, it works. If it, um, and, but then they'll say, calm down, Robert. We'll let, give us but another you know, night. Sometimes yeah. it's the reaction to the line. Yeah, sometimes it it's not the line. And you audiences are different every yeah. night. It's so interesting. The audiences every night have a, la- a life and a language. One night it's a rock concert, and then the next night it's it's slower. It's but they're always engaged. But I will I will tell you because I do get asked this, and um, no no uh, one's ever asked this. No one's ever but I, I'll st- I will start to cry because yeah. the feeling of what, being in a room where sixteen hundred people. Respond as a community. Forget whatever your politics is, whatever right. your problems are, whatever, and sit together. And you hear the laughter, feed the laughter, and they're all laughing. It's it's humbling. It's satisfying. It's I will start laughing. I don't 
at this point now, I only listen to the audience. I don't because I yeah. can't make changes now anyway. So now I'm listening. Um, and so it is not legally not that. Thank you. I'm telling my stage manager that Scott, wonderful Scott Rollison. Um, you know it it uh it is, um, it's a the only way I can say it is it's a gift. It's mm-hmm. a true gift that that you write for you, but you write for for your audience. You write for the world because you have something to say. And when you're a comedy writer, and and the thing that I I will I love about this show in particular is that the comedy truly comes from character and story. Yeah, I'll throw a joke in every once in a oh, while because I love jo- the joke. I mean, come on, there are some lines that will but, go down. Is that, but they but no other character could say those lines, and that and that's what I love. And it's just well. There's one so, that I don't agree. Oh, okay. There are a couple of. Well, lines you going to tell me which written. one? I just think anyone who who Would understands <laughs> how to get through, drive through to the end of the line, could get a laugh anywhere. Because okay, they I'll are give you that. <laughs> standalone, brilliant. Yeah. Like you're you're a genius joke writer. Oh, thank like you. Like when you talk about the vaudeville and sort of yeah. the background of like delivering a standalone. Like I I think you're being generous and talking about like. They are character driven and you've written beautifully connected human beings, right? You've created yeah. a community on stage as well oh as my in God. the that audience. That's like probably the nicest thing anybody's ever no, said. No, no, but, but really you. you have and it's an extraordinary thing. But I do think like your gift, not everyone has the gift that you have to find a way to describe something and in a joke that no one else has thought of before. Yeah. That's like, that's not nothing. Well, that's not for nothing. Yeah. Not but nothing. I, but. Yeah, it's an incredible gift to hear audiences laughing. But I'll tell you, when they don't laugh, when you something happens, that, you're <laughs> like, myself. oh, my God. So my right. husband, so I'll go and watch the show sometimes now, and my husband will go with me. And he actually pulls me out of the theater sometimes. Yeah. Because sometimes you have an older matinee crowd, and they're very engaged, but it's not the the uproarious laughter right. that you sometimes get. And it feels dis- the high and, is yeah, like and a I'm little like, disappointing. Wait, wait, they didn't laugh at it? He's right. like, get out. Right. Leave. I'm pulling you out. You no, know, it's also like... I mean, I love blaming an audience. I that's really my favorite. Thing. But sometimes <laughs> it's, it's like accidentally another actor happened to like move. Yeah. Do, oh. I mean, it's so it's so fascinating to me how delicate it all is that if someone yeah, by mistake or just tonight happened to like move, um, if, during the, the breath la- changes. Yes. yes. But on someone else's thing, like it's very it just true. derails. It's a delicate, yeah. intricate project, all of it. And audiences react to different things. So what ultimately I end up seeing is it's not that they're not reacting. They're reacting to other things. What I love, actually, and as a comedy writer, you know, you, you love when people laugh. But I actually love the quiet moments in the mm-hmm. show. The moments because you can hear not a sound. You don't hear coughing. You don't hear you don't hear playbills rustling. Mm-hmm. They are engaged. And I'd almost, I, I don't, wouldn't, I'm not going to say I would rather have that, but I love that. Well, because you've written scenes. You've yeah. written great real scenes between people. Uh, yeah, thank they you. Get to, I mean, there's love stories and I mean, there's so much going on. There's love stories between two best friends. There's love stories, unexpected little Which we won't give away, won't but give away. I know I love that. It's so cool. And I got to write a bromance, which I never thought I would be able to write uh, uh, between those, between Michael and Jeff. And yeah. Excuse our, me. Our I, new favorite I, I roommates. Just, our favorite, and also, yeah. you know, that character of Jeff Andy is so brilliant, and and um, he sort of becomes the. Vo- I, I I think I knew I wanted to create a character that was the conscious of the audience. Yeah. That in order to really like this guy who's kind of a jerk and make yeah. some really stupid decisions, in order to want to take his journey, 
what I always loved about All in the Family and mm. uh, was the idea that Archie Bunker was a bigoted, right. but Edith loved him, right. and she was so pure. So therefore, and there, there, we found reason. We found to reason him. to, and yeah. I wanted to do that with Jeff, which is even though this guy is making horrible mistakes, he's Edith. He's, he's Edith. Our Edith. He's our Edith. That well, he could say, "I love you, buddy," and you're really messing yeah, up. You're, you're not going to get it. This is bet you can't. You can't do this in this era. Yeah. You can and and the audiences are able to connect to the story because they have someone speaking for them. Yeah. And I thought that was very important for our, for this show. Well, it's um. It's so thrilling. It's so thrilling that you are being embraced uh, in the way that you deserve to be embraced. Mm. You have put your time in. You care so deeply and passionately about this form. Like, this is your I, I, I love this. And I will tell you, with the night you came and saw the show, in your, yeah. you were wearing a black hat, and I watched you <laughs> watching the show most of the night. Did you see that I, I really liked it? Yes, you yeah. were laughing. You were with, yeah. um, oh, I won't say who, but yes. Yes. Uh, we were all An laughing. actress. This very, another, yes. another successful who's, actress. Who's very um, talented at writing yeah. comedy as well. And all of us, and John Benjamin Hickey was there. I know. Night. It was a crazy Jeff, night. Like, like who you know from TV writing yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Um, I cannot thank you enough with all you have going on. Like, no joke, guys. He's literally been nominated for every single award, which is joyous, but it also means one ceremony meal <laughs> after another. And I wanted to end, though. I'm loving you. Again, you know, you, you wait so many years for it, and then it's all, yeah. it happens so fast, I know. and then it's done. I know. You're like, why are there six award yeah. ceremonies in one day? <laughs> yeah. Can we spread it out yeah. over six and years? I, but I love it. I have six ties, so yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, I'm so thrilled that you invited me here. I'm, uh, I'm, so, it's, Thank you. Well, you're going to be in your car in L.A. driving around, and it's going to be you listening I can't, to you. That's crazy. It's wait. I don't even have a car anymore. But yes, ah, is that things are things are bad? No. Well, I left to come here for oh, six months, and now. so I no, uh, I'm, I'm there. The but I am. I, I let the lease go. But I actually, I, I am. I think I'm moving back. All right. Because I just want to do theater. Yeah. Well, we yeah. uh, there's a place on Thompson Street. There's one, a little one bit. A Turo's, a Turo's Italian restaurant. Well, let's go have dinner yeah. there. Oh, let's but walk deal, so deal. It will be the best. I still go down and look at that apartment all I the bet. time. Yeah, so much history. Like you know, this city backwards and forwards. Yeah. Your story is so inspiring. You are just all love, and I'm so thrilled you were here today. And oh, I can't you. wait to just have many more conversations about. All the things in the future. There's so much to talk about. And then we'll do a show together. And oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? You all heard that. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So there you go. These are little known facts that now you know. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast. And on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. Do you believe in stories? I know I do. Do you feel like there is more to your story? Personally, I feel like there's more to every story. And I got some good news. 
There's this great company called the Pocket Media Group, and they can help you find the more in your story and tell it so it connects to the people you most want to reach. They specialize in video, photography, writing, design, branding, and strategy, all the pieces you need to start something new or polish up something old. And they understand that story, whether it's a photograph, a video, or words on a page, powerfully connects people and ideas. So whether you're a not-for-profit, a company, or just good old you with an idea, whatever your story, mission, or message, reach out to the people at The Pocket Media Group at www.thepocketmediagroup.com and let them help you start telling your story. Because look, we know there is definitely more to your story.